And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 19 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on March 24th of 2014. As we always say, if you're so inclined, and we really want you to be inclined, we'd really love a review of the show on iTunes. Oh, and please do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher or email or simply binge listen on your own on the fancy part of the web called thisoldmarketing.com. And of course, all of the subscription links along with every episode's lovely show notes and general awesomeness of everything we talk about today, you can find in our show post that will accompany every episode. And also, as always, I'm here with my good friend, cohort, conspirator, and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the only guy who could fill out a perfect March Madness bracket by choosing all the teams with orange in their color. Hello, Joe. How are you, my friend? And how's your bracket doing? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic, my friend. Uh, no, I, I've done five or six brackets, and they're all in need of major life support at this point. So, yeah, it's it's not it's it's not been good. Well, I mean, I did of course I did pick uh, Syracuse Orange in a couple of the they let me down. But my, you know, I mean, uh, being an Ohio boy, I'm happy for for Dayton uh doing their thing. So, yeah. yeah so that's that's they a good are. story. Uh, how about your are you uh, are you being into the event this year? Uh no, I am I am what they would be called bracketless <laughs> or 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 bracket hampered. Um, I don't do the actual. I I I, I left the uh, the habit of bracketology uh, a few years ago, and I have not done one since. I just I don't follow college basketball actually to close enough to actually you know make it make it really work. But I but I appreciate those who do. Well, you know what I would really like to see. I would like to see this exact format happen for college football, which I. Which would yes. be, I mean, you don't. Have, I mean, it can't would be, do, it would can't be do awesome. sixty-four. But man, could could you do eight or sixteen? Oh my gosh, could you imagine the the wildness that would happen from that? But well, isn't it? Is it this year or is it next year when the college football is going to move? I think to it's the, this the coming year. System. They're moving to four, so there'll be a two, two and two, yeah. and then a final game. So that's you know they're headed that direction. So we'll we'll, we'll I see. like it. Can you imagine when football gets to sixteen? It's. I mean, it's, it's so much more popular than <laughs> right. college basketball. Oh, oh my gosh! I will be. Oh my god! I well, will that's be your all sport. That. Yeah, I'm that's your. A, I mean, yeah, it's, I'm such a huge football fan. That way we can. Exactly. That way we can well, watch four, SC, four SEC teams play each other. That'd be fantastic, right? Come on. <laughs> exactly. We need some Big Ten teams in there. <laughs> oh my god well the sec does yeah, rule something like that all right all right on, on with the, yeah, something on with like the that. show moving on to the news well our first news comes from facebook our good friends at facebook slashing again he said hesitantly uh the organic reach of pages this article comes to us from the lovely adweek.com and in this article they talked about how Facebook is once it seems to be something of a you know a, a something in doubt here whether this is again changing the algorithm for you know even less of a reach for pages than they've gotten already or if this is just a continuation of a change that's already been around for the last year and the interesting thing to me was in this article they talked about how organic reach is going to be now reduced to 1% or 2% of your actual audience of your page. I mean, I've got to figure that if you're big on Facebook and your page and you're using your page to really reach, you spent all this money building this audience on your page, you've just got to be really pissed off right about now. I mean, because this is just getting absolutely crazy. I mean, one of my, my favorite quote from the article was this, uh, it comes from Valley Wag, where uh, they say, you know, quote, Facebook has to make money like the Nikes of the world. The same companies that are now going to raise hell when the free fire hose runs dry. Well, Nike, well, yeah, Nike yes, doesn't take your shoes with, yeah. away. I mean, <laughs> exactly. that's exactly what yeah. we're talking Nike about. Nike doesn't here. take the lace. Well, it doesn't change the price of laces, yeah. too, right? I mean, you know, it's like it gives you the laces, takes them away, and then says, you know, if you want the laces for these shoes, you're going to have to pay a little more. I mean, so, I mean, what did you think? Did you think that this is like, is this... Much ado about nothing, or is oh, this really? I, I, like, I would be so true? frustrated. I mean, we've talked. We talked about this. What was it? Last episode or a couple ago yeah. about it going down to less than a couple episodes yeah, ago, going yeah. down to less than ten percent. Well, now it's you know one to two percent. What is the value of somebody liking your page? Nothing. 
right? Because nobody's going to see it. Yeah, nobody's really... going to see it anyways. I love this comment. So um, I was. There's a lot of comments on this article, and so Hal Thomas at the bottom says, "Just so we all understand the racket, Facebook sells you page-like ads so you can acquire an audience. After you acquire an audience, they want you to pay a second, third, fourth, etc. time to reach that audience that you've already paid to to acquire. That that's it. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, it it, it, it there was there was two things about that that the, and the comments are especially yeah. telling to me that that really that one is at one percent or two percent, it's an ad, right? It's it's got the same performance about the same performance as an ad is going to have. And the second thing is, as I was reading through those comments, how many people don't understand what they mean, right? Who who don't understand this. You know, there was a lot of people in there's like, well, you know, this is just them changing the, you know, the way that ads are placed. Well, no, it's not. It's it's to that to that last comment that you read. It, it's exactly that. It's them charging a second, third, and fourth time for you to reach the audience that you've been spending all this money to try and aggregate now, and for them to reduce basically Facebook pages to simply an ad that you're going to get basically the same performance on content as you would. You know, by placing an ad somewhere, it's it's kind of crazy. To well, me. I mean, like if you look at you know our, our good friend Jeff Roars, who has a fantastic book called Audience. He was you know and worked at Exact Target, which is now Salesforce. But he always talked about subscribers, fans, and followers, and talked about you know building a following on Facebook, which in essence has no value today. So the the only thing that I can think of is right. if you buy advertising, which. You know, let's let's say that you're advertising because there's a lot of people actually in the comments that say, "Hey, my advertising works, and I get likes, but then nobody sees the additional people that like my page don't see it anyways." So that if you're buying advertising, you have to have that call to action go to something other than a like. It has to go to a landing page. It has to go to something else, some other conversion. Because if that becomes a like, you you've basically lost out. Correct? That's what we're talking about. That's exactly yeah. It, well, it's exactly it. I mean, if you want to do the math on it, it's basically what Facebook is saying is is that every like you get through a paid ad is only worth one or two percent of what you paid for it, and that's just crazy to me. That's I mean, that is just I mean, the the, the ROI on that is just going to be just impossible. But I think there's reach. a bigger issue, and I, maybe we brought this up last week, but I I taught a couple of weeks ago at uh, Case Western Reserve University and did a little uh, little test class on content marketing and I first thing I ask I always want to ask the kids so they're you know 18 to 20 years old I said what social channels are you using right now and they're all using Instagram and Twitter and I'm sorry Instagram Twitter and, and Snapchat actually Twitter and Snapchat or one and two right. yeah nobody's using Facebook and I mean nobody so the core audience their their yeah. supposed core audience of the past is not I mean basically the core audience is Probably us and grandmothers and grandfathers now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a well. Concern I, I have seen I have seen numbers. I have seen numbers, and I saw some article, and I think it was actually Jay Bear who sent out this link uh, this week, who had said that the sort of the quote unquote uh, uh, threat of kids leaving Facebook was kind of a misnomer. Um, and he had numbers to back it up. I didn't see the actual numbers or seen the the, the the study, but you know, it. I have seen the same anecdotal end of evidence that you have. I mean, when I talk to my nieces and nephews and 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 their friends about you know their usage of social media, Facebook's not there. It's WhatsApp. It's which of course yeah, now is yeah. Facebook, but it's WhatsApp, it's Snapchat, and it's Instagram, and 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 some Twitter. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I said that for some reason in Northeast Ohio, there's a lot of Twitter. I don't know what what's going on there, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I mean, in, I don't know about your newsfeed, but they even talk about this in the, in the comments. Is it's heavy on the upworthies and the Buzzfeeds and the all the viral stuff, and it's very very hard to get to content from my friends that I actually want to see. It's very difficult to do that now, yeah, and I'm I'm actually right. not sure. I mean, they're smart, right? I mean, they're 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 printing money right now, so I don't know what the long term implications are. All I can say is, for marketers, we can we can rule out the fact that if you're trying to build likes, you can rule that out as a strategy because it it's a it's you you you're defeated before you even get started with that. So there you go. I think that's the yeah. I think that's the major takeaway here is that if you're if you're at all thinking about you know, building 
and owned media platform. Do not use, use Facebook, Facebook on this, or at least right right now. Don't you know? Don't don't do it. Right Post now. your kids stuff. Post your All kids right, well, stuff. Move- you can <laughs> check and see what Grandma and Grandpa are doing. <laughs> exactly, but not for marketing. No, there you go. That's exactly right. Well, moving on to our next news story, which is also a you know a, a, another social platform, as it were, but this time uh, regarding their search engine. Google is now going to war with guest blogging. Now we again we talked about this. You know, I don't know whether it was two episodes or three episodes ago, where we talked about how Matt Cutts had announced the quote unquote death of guest blogging for SEO, um, and it declared it finished as a link building tactic. Um, and this is now an interesting one because it follows up. Uh, there was a tweet by Matt Cutts, who actually announced that Google has taken action on a large guest blog network. It was the uh, My Blog Guest uh, website was the vic- quote unquote victim here. Um, and really interesting. I wanted to get your take on this from from a search perspective, um, and certainly because it's something we do. We use yeah. a lot of guest bloggers, but is this something that we should be? wary of or is this something that even applies well, it, to us? I'm actually, I read this a couple times and I clicked over to it and we'll obviously put this in the show notes. I'm trying to figure this out because is it that if you say that you are into guest blogging, Google penalizes you? Because if you look at it from that perspective, let, let's just look at Forbes, for example. Forbes has thousands of guest bloggers. Now they they call right. Huffington they, Post. Huffington Post. Yeah. They call they don't necessarily call it guest blogging, they call it guest contributors. So is it different there? Right. I I don't get it. I mean because Forbes is doing awfully well with their strategy even though I completely disagree with that strategy. When we could talk about that later if you want to. But I I think that if if it's original content and there's you know there's it's uh you know they're upholding the values of the and the mission of the site and it is valuable and useful, I don't see a problem with it. And why they are going after certain sites that, I mean, all, I'm, all, all I can imagine, and I, and I actually know Ann Smarty, who, who runs this guest blog network, and I'm, I don't think it's a spammy thing. So I, I'm, I'm really kind of, it's almost like they're going after and blackballing certain companies like they did with Demand Media. Now that made sense, right? Because right. that was those are content right. farms. It was not valuable content at all. They were keyword stuffing. Fine. But if this is helpful guest blogging content, what what's the <laughs> what's the issue here? I don't get it. Yeah, it's well, it's it's interesting because the the article does talk about how they went through a quote-unquote manual review. And so I wonder if it's, you know, if it's, you know, and I don't know this network at all. So I don't know whether or not they sort of looked at it and went, yeah, this is sort of against what we're trying to do from a manual perspective. But it just strikes me that, you know, it's 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 a slippery slope for them because you start, you know, you start trying to understand what is, the, you know, what is guest blogging to your point versus what is contributing mm-hmm. to a publication is you know, and, and I guess you know, it, I guess if you were to ask Google, they would say, well, if it you know, if it smells like spam, looks like spam, and you know, in, in other words, you you wouldn't be you wouldn't be proud to to point to it, then we're probably going to have a problem with it. But I, I, you know, it's 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 troubling. I think yeah. I think it's a really interesting an interesting thing to follow. Well, I sure. was listening to. It's funny because I was listening to our friend uh, Brian Clark's podcast from uh, from Copy Blogger. I think his podcast is called the the New Rainmaker podcast it's actually really yeah. interesting it's right. another another good podcast but he was going on and talking about the fact that it, google uh google only wants you when you don't need google anymore so when you have your own plan when yeah. you're yeah when, when you have <laughs> right. your own platform right. and uh you know you don't need to find a date anymore like with google and, and all that stuff then then they want you they'll put you right to the top but if you really, really want Google yeah. and you want to do all the things and conform to Google, Google's not going to pay attention to it at all. They're not going to show you any love. And I think that's what that that's yeah, what's well, going. That's what I think. I think I think if we're going to give people advice on this, the things that I would do is don't say you offer guest blogging. Say you off, off, offer guest contribution or guest contributors, and don't yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And don't say that a value is getting away. 
do not say anything because the whole link baiting thing is a problem with Mac cuts that he's talking about here. So I think if you do those two things, then you're basically doing what Forbes does and you do what Huffington Post does. And I mean, I'm even thinking about LinkedIn, right? We talked about this a couple episodes where LinkedIn opened up for guest blogging basically to all their their users who want to blog on that site. So because... It's on LinkedIn. Is is that technically a guest blog? And will Google not index that or penalize LinkedIn because of that? No. I can't ever see that happening. But why are they singling out some small uh, entre- uh, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners that are – I? That it, it's so weird. It just smells wrong to me. I don't know. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. I mean because to your point about what you were, you know, what you were hearing about on the, on the Rainmaker podcast – I was actually on an interview with a former Yahoo search executive, um, one of their early product guys, and and he was talking about how Google now actually has an active uh, initiative to go out to apps uh, that are on the iTunes store and figure out how to deep link into them because they're finding that there's this whole hidden uh, sets of repositories of content that are get that is getting you know. Uh, generated in you know restaurant apps and review apps and all of these different apps that are out there on the app store um, that aren't available to Google indexing. So they're actually talking about how they can set up you know initiatives and partner with these guys to actually get deep linking into those apps. It's just getting crazy. I had the, I was at um, AMA's uh, Chicago did a session on branded content. I was a closing keynote the other day. And there was a question from the audience and said, you know, basically, what do we need to do with our content uh, regarding all the changes Google's doing? And I said, basically, ignore Google. I mean, don't I mean, if you ignore it and you just create really valuable, helpful content to your targeted niche audience, everything else will work out. (laughs) It absolutely will. That's right. And I think that's the attitude we have exactly right now. Well, it's interesting because that, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's what the CEO of that, uh, my blog guest basically said. I mean, her quote, her quote word for word was she should, you know, we should be marketing as if Google didn't exist, making the point, she says, that we depend too much on it uh, and depending too much on it is an unwise tactic. It's not dissimilar, actually, from what we were just talking about with Facebook, right? Depending so much on Google as a way to drive business results is just ultimately going to end in frustration. So many companies now that I that I walk into talk to me about they've had a corporate blog or they've had a corporate platform of content for years in some cases and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars with search engine optimization uh, companies to actually optimize this content only to watch it just sort of crumble away when Google decides to change the algorithm. This is crazy. This, this actually does feel a little evil. You know, they say they do no evil, but it, it does feel a little evil to me. So, I, yeah, it's well, it's you know, I mean, ultimately, I think if I if I take them at their word, they're basically just trying to make search better. Because let's be honest, search is not really uh, not really there at the moment. So, you know, it's 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 hurting, right? You know, search organic search right now is very very which in a which, world which of pain. you know, it's just it's almost unusable. Well, right which now. actually goes back to what Facebook is doing. I think Facebook season we talked about. Uh, I think I talk about Google Plus seeing an opportunity to, to uh, basically do a better job than Facebook is doing at, at the business of Facebook. I think now Facebook sees that they can do a better job at search. I, I'm I'm yeah, I'm dumbfounded. I, think that's right. I really can't try to figure it out anymore. Just create really good content. Don't worry about these two companies. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that so that may be a good cue for us to move on to our next story here. This is one that came to us. Um, who oh, this the, is who a, yeah. Sent big us this? It was big really... shout out to, to Kylie Gordon uh, from Autodesk, and she sent yeah. this to us and wanted our take. and And uh, and why don't you uh, intro it and, and we'll talk about it a little bit. It's a really interesting story, actually. It's um, so the corporate executive board, um, which is a group that really puts out a lot of interesting content itself on on strategy and CMO strategy uh, specifically. They released a new ebook, um, and it's called Challenger Marketing. Uh, is the name of the ebook, and it's 
the way they tee it up is, is that the, what they say is, is that most thought leadership, and this is almost exclusively a B2B sort of uh, play here, what they talk about is, is that most thought leadership right now is trying to teach customers something that they don't already know. Uh, or that they don't believe about their business to be true right now. So it's very often when, when this is their point, by the way, when that businesses are doing white papers or blog posts or webinars or whatever they're doing from a B2B perspective, they're often grounding that in some sort of future trend. In other words, this is what the future of business looks like. Here are the stats that sort of show that trend being true. And here's the shift in the way the technology or that the way that something is going to happen. So in other words, this is about your future business and we need to bring you there. And that's really the sort of call to action is, is that our business, our B2B approach or whatever we're marketing is what can bring you into that future. And what they're saying is, is that this thought leadership it very rarely is good. And in fact, they're quite critical of most quote-unquote thought leadership. And instead, they're sort of offering this alternative method that they call challenger marketing, which basically is they're saying unteach rather than teach. And they're saying basically there's something you already know or there's something that you already believe that's not true. And we're going to help you unteach. We're going to unteach you this thing. And it's this sort of mental disruption that they talk about being the true value here. And I, I got to say, it's really an interesting piece. It was very thought-provoking for me because I read through it and I read the ebook. I haven't read it in great detail because I only had about half an hour before our show started. But I read the ebook and I read the blog post and I like the idea. I, I, I think it's a really intriguing idea. Now, having said that, the piece is really salesy. Yeah. It's really marketing-y, if it, as it were. And it's sort of... I think overplays the whole and sort of in a really ironic twist sort of does what they <laughs> tell you not to do. So so in a really weird ironic way it's kind of like did you really do that on purpose anyway but that that so I don't know what did you think I of did whole? like that I I guess it threw me a little bit um so yeah they call it uh what do they call it challenger marketing the challenger marketer, the challenger right. sale. So, I mean, I get that. What I don't like is the premise in the ebook that they're talking about, because basically they're saying that, oh, there's too many generalizations in this ebook. I know why they're doing it, because they're, they're basically making a pitch here. But they're sure, saying thought leadership is media, they, they equate it too much to mediocre content. I think that if you're creating mediocre content, uh, like in the vein that you've talked about, it's not thought leadership then. It's something different. It's mediocre content, so I don't I don't like the fact that they're equating like oh this is this is what a thought leader does. I don't believe that. I think what they're saying is about this whole unteaching. I think that's really thought leadership. That's true thought leadership. That's right. So I think they're just putting a spin on it. I think it can be helpful. I don't really know what they're pitching here. I guess it's a, it's you're supposed to call them, and they'll get you set up with a challenger team. Maybe get you get you a new right. suit. Right. Or <laughs> I don't really know what they right. is it a space yeah, well, suit? I don't really you know, know what it is. But um yeah, it, it's I, I I like it. I think it's you know, we'll put it in the show notes. It's good. Kylie, I actually am interested to see what you know, hear what you think about it. Um the one thing I will say, and this is where you can get into the fuzzy business of playing with stats. Uh they talk about lead generation not working. Content marketing uh is run amok and there's a problem with lead generation when it comes to content marketing. And so the most effective marketing effort that they talk about in the sale of one to five is commercial strategy. Second most is brand development. Third is sales support. Um, way down at the end, they say, is lead generation. They're, they're separated by a half a point. I'm right, like, seriously? Exactly. Right. So you, they, it looks at, you're like, oh my gosh, look at lead generation is way down there. It's not that far. It's not that it's not that this can't be statistically significant here, folks. So I would just caution that yes. when you're looking at it. So in general, I like the piece, but you know, as a skeptical marketer myself, I'm reading through it and I'm like, oh, I wish they wouldn't have positioned it that way. But I mean, I like the premise. Yeah, I, well, you know, here's the. I mean, so here's the takeaway for me because to, to me it was the, the the they overplayed their hand with the piece for sure. And, and the stats, you know, you're right on the money. They, with the stats, they totally, like, I mean, this is one of those classics where, 
you know, if you were to pull back from the graph, you know, about a mile, you'd see that like they're, they're two identical sized mountains, but one happens to be four inches, you know, taller than the other. And, but the, the one nugget I took away there was sort of this reboot or rethink of the way that we do thought leadership content and, and away from this, I, this, this idea of we're always talking about the future, right? You know, and, and how we can, you know, anyway, yeah, I really no, like I, the, I think the unteach I idea. like the take. I agree with you. I think this is much more positive than negative. Um, I just, I would yeah. have probably, spun, and you know what? And who's who am I to tell? Because I think this is supposed to be your big sales, I've got you here, sign up now type of piece that they're going for. They're, you know, they're, this is close to, the, right. close to the conversion type of piece. So, I mean, I would love to see the longer and more descriptive thought leadership piece <laughs> on, uh, yeah, right, on exactly. how they got here. Exactly. So, anyways, if that even exists, maybe it doesn't. So, anyways. So, all right. Well, we're moving on to the next news item here. So, I have a question for sure. you, Joe. Is everything you think you know about the web wrong? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Because according to Tony Hale, who's writing for Time.com, everything we everything we think everything. we know about the web is wrong. Um, and this is an article, a really interesting article that was on Time. Um, and again, another really thought-provoking article for me because um, he starts out by talking about giving us a history lesson and thinking about measurement and how we measure sort of content and experiences uh, online. And, you know, he starts out by saying, look, we right now we confuse different things, right? We confuse what people have clicked on for what they've actually read. We mistake sharing for reading or consuming. And he actually points all the way back to 1994 where he talks about the sort of originator uh, of the banner ad and and direct marketing through online came through with this sort of click-through idea as sort of the – end-all, be-all measure of ad performance on the web. And sort of from that moment on, the click became king, right? The click became the thing that we measured as sort of the efficacy of marketing and advertising in digital. And it's such a really interesting question to me because whether you like the click or whether you you know don't like the click or whether you think the click is useless, all that kind of thing, it's really interesting. And I think his point is we sort of grew up sort of just assigning all of these different values on different things on the the way that people interact with content and how will it be different, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. Um, It's a really interesting idea because as he says, the click has really had some unfortunate side effects. You know, it basically has created the idea of spam and link bait and Mm -hmm. painful, you know, design and all of that. And, and, And it's a really interesting way to make me think about Wow, really? What what are the things that truly matter in terms of of, yeah. of measuring how we how our content is? Well, considered? I think it, yeah, it talks about the fact that the measurement of the click will not be around in the next few years. We won't measure it that way. And this whole and what did we was it last week we talked about Upworthy's uh, measurement model? Yeah, they last week or the week yeah, before. I mean, I they yeah. were talking yeah. about the attention attention time. Yeah, the attention. And metrics, this whole yeah. thing is yeah. about welcome to the attention web. And talks about this yeah. is what we're looking at now, and then goes through the myths, which I think are really interesting. And and some of these things, and I'll just throw. I mean, we'll we'll put it in the show notes, but that that people actually read what they've clicked on. Not true, you know. <laughs> most people don't read what they click on. Fifty five percent spend fewer than fifteen seconds on a page, so not a long enough, unless it's a very short article. Not long enough to really get engaged in anything. So that was interesting. And then the funny one is, and uh, uh, Buddy Scalera actually did an article. I'll put it in the show notes on this topic. But basically, the myth too was the uh, the more we share, the more we read, or that we actually read articles we share. And the truth is, is I think most people don't even read. Wow, that's the, really Most great. people yeah. don't read the articles yeah. they share either. So, <laughs> I mean, it's almost that auto sharing thing. We see the title, all the titles that you brand about all the time. We always say, oh, we got to share that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's about cats. We're going to share Oh, it got to be shared. Right, yeah. We just copy and paste yeah, the link. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, so, right. I, mean, I don't know. Did any of these so, other well, ones hit you? Know, you? It's, it, well, you know, it's it, – I, I think it was – the interesting thing to me is is that it, it, it sort of 
because of the other things that are happening now with long form content, right? So it's not that we're losing attention span and, and it's not that we can't, you know, actually start to look at things, you know, we're reading longer articles on mobile, we're actually watching videos, we're actually doing things online and consuming content in ever more ways. I think, I can't remember who it was that actually, that uh, that talked about how we have now read 292 million ebooks over the last year or something, you know, some crazy number like that. We read longer articles now on mobile than yeah. ever before. We consume video on mobile. We are consuming long form content as consumers more than ever before. So it's not that we're actually shorter of attention span. It's actually that there's just a lot more content to choose from. And so it's this, to me, it's this really interesting thing where, you know, I mean, we've gone on and on about content shock for sure, but it's this really interesting thing where if if we're really going to draw the attention of our audiences and, and have them actually do something, then we've got to be creating content that's not just worth quote unquote clicking on, but actually doing something with, you know, and consuming once we actually get them mm-hmm. there. And, you know, so, I mean, it pairs nicely with this next news story that we've got, which is, which is actually, that was an article that came from Technorati um, and Brian Solis was actually interviewed and the title of it was the future of content marketing um, where he talks about, this, you know, link the buzzworthies and up, you know, upworthies and, and all of that and says, you know, this is the link baby headlines of the day. And then he actually says, if you're actually going to generate business with content, you've actually got to have content that people take action on. And he says, that's what the quote unquote future of content marketing uh, is all about. So it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, I guess it's a big duh, right? This is what we, this is what we're supposed to be doing. But, you know, it's it's, it's Well, there's a couple things that I wanted to, to bring out in this. First of all, 31 minutes into the podcast, and I'm going to say native advertising for the first time. I just want to make that point. Dun, dun, dun. So there, there's, two, <laughs> <laughs> there's two things in this Time article that I want to talk about. One is native advertising stats. What he's citing from the bajillion pages that they looked at, 7 out of 10 people scroll down for regular content. Uh, basically two in 10 for native. So interesting, right? I mean, that they're actually yeah. seeing a difference. It's probably because our friends at like the New York Times put caution, don't read right. <laughs> branded content that's ahead, right. uh, beware iceberg. But that's um, the other thing that was, this was really interesting. And I sent this one to the CMI team because I thought it was so interesting. 66% of attention on a normal media page is below the fold. Think about that. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating think of, stat. So think actually. about where you advertise. Think about how you're going to invest in your native advertising programs. Think about how you set your page up, your content page, where the majority of that time is below the screen. That's, I mean, as long as I guess you know we talked about last week. How long does the desktop have? I mean. So for whatever right. that's worth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where is the fold? Where is the yeah. fold? I guess is the real question. I guess if it's asking. on a smartphone, yeah. it's pretty quickly. But yeah, I mean, I just thought th- yeah. I thought that was interesting just to go. So it's great, great article. I mean, we'll put it in the show notes, but just some interesting things to, to think about if we're creating content on the web. It was a wonder. It was a wonderful article because it totally made me think in, in, you know, a completely different way. I mean, I just ended up, you know, and I'll get to it when I get to my rant later in the show, but I was just at a conference and I was giving a, a, a the, the talk was on measurement and you know that the idea of measurement right now is so hot for most content marketers of how they're showing ROI so this whole idea of of rethinking more broadly the idea of you know what content consumption really means in a digital world is just a fascinating topic oh, to me. Oh my gosh. It's just and the more I think about it the more that I think everyone listening to this right now needs to be focused on building a platform and really building a platform, building an audience uh, that people want to come to every day, you know, week, month, whatever the case is. And boy, the more we just, more we get into this, you know, putting content on different sites and whatever uh, and, and building your followers off site, the more it just bothers me. Um, well, you know what it is? It's, 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 it's content, you know, it's, it's, it's as we say in workshops and, and when we talk with clients, it's purpose-driven content, right? Every piece of content should have a purpose and its purpose might be to draw me back into an owned media platform. Right. 
And that's a perfectly good reason to have your content out on ancillary sites, even Facebook. But it's ultimately the purpose needs to be, you know, the, the overriding driving goal should be to acquire, you know, with native advertising, with putting our content out, it should, the goal should be to aggregate an audience that you can then change or enhance their behavior. That is the heart of what content marketing is all about. Because then when you start infusing that, that power that we now have with your regular marketing advertising, the regular marketing, print, television, radio, all the stuff you're going to do as a normal business practice, well, now you're, do, you're creating value for that audience. And now when they see that advertising, they're going to value it and respond to it so much more. I mean, the brands that really get this really get that. I mean, that's just, I, I think craft, right? You know, craft and what Julie Fleischer is over there doing, not even from a lead generation or from an awareness perspective, but from a CRM perspective. And that's just crazy good stuff. By the way, and I have to say this just because you said, I mean, Julie spoke, she did a great job. In Chicago, I got a chance to talk to her a little bit. Did you see the Oscar Mayer bacon no. app? Did you see this? I have not. Oh, my no, gosh. I haven't so seen I it. got to talk about this. Um, so Oscar Mayer created an app, and they're promoting it all over the place now. And it talks, it's, do you want to wake up, wake up to bacon? So they have an app that you can set. It's cute. And when like you, it. when let's say you want to wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning, it'll start with the sizzle sound of bacon. Well, now, and then what they're giving away when you download that, and I don't know who they're giving this away to and how the contest works or something, but they have a plug-in to your smartphone that when it hits the sizzle time and the alarm goes off, it'll actually puff out little smokes of bacon scent. And so... Well, that's just fabulously cool. <laughs> so you actually wake up to the smell of bacon. And that's just... That's I love it. I love it, and it's good. I mean, and then that's this is on top of what they did for Father's Day, which is they put all those collect Father's Day collections where they were treating, uh, you know, bacon like you know diamonds for men, and they were putting it in these leather cases, yeah, which right. sold out immediately. Which I didn't know was the first time that Oscar Mayer sold a product directly to consumers ever, and they sold out. Wow! So it's just, anyways, I just you said Julian. <laughs> And of course, yeah. now I'm thinking about bacon. So, no, well, that's always there. It is. There's the title of uh, of this episode. Always, always thinking bacon. about bacon. You never have enough bacon. There you go. Yep, there you go. So, our last story of uh, this episode is a really interesting one as well. It comes actually written by our friend Shane Snow over at uh, Contently, and he writes an article for Ad Age. Uh, and he the, the the title of the article was actually really intriguing. He says, when you're producing great branded content, take credit for it. And it's a really wonderful article, I think, because he, what he's pointing out here is, is that as he talks about, you know, how content marketing has certainly, you know, risen in popularity and and how, you know, all of this in content and marketers and publishers are trying to get their handle on native advertising. And, you know, there we go with native advertising yeah. again. And there's all this sort of stuff around transparency standards. It, the idea. I mean, this is something that you know we've been espousing on the show for you know so you know big big shock that we actually agree. Um, that it's this idea that if you're going to do something outside your bounds of your website, you know, in a native advertising format or something, take credit for it. Do you know make it make it branded? If you're going to do branded content, brand Be the proud heck of, out it. of it. Absolutely, you, it's it's funny. Yeah, it's, this this is a. This is a very historical thing. I mean, I've been, you know, I started working on advertorials 15 years ago, and it was interesting as we put advertorials into our publications when I worked at Pent Media. So these are business to business niche publications. The advertisers or the sponsors of the advertorial almost wanted to do everything they could. They wanted to sneak their products and stuff in the content, but they never wanted to say it was them, right? They wanted it to look and right. feel exactly like the editorial, and we wanted to. They wanted to shy away from it because really what they were trying to do was a bait and switch. Now, in this case, that's not going to go anymore, right? Nobody's going to read that stuff anymore. It's got to be truly valuable, truly interesting stuff. So if that's the case and you create truly valuable, truly interesting information, slap your logo all over. I mean, hey, this is us. And, exactly. and Shane talks about the Lego movie, which is heavily branded content. American Express Open Forum, heavily branded. You know it's American Express. Uh, Chipotle, which I would say is not heavily branded, but you're very aware that it's Chipotle. Um, 
and then with Farmed and Dangerous, which is kind of interesting, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's there's a way you can go too far, but if you're at all unsure about how much you should brand it, yes, make sure that they absolutely know that it's you <laughs> behind the. And why wouldn't you? You got to take credit for it if it's good content. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Well, it feeds, and so this. I mean, I, and what I'll do is I'll save my I'll save my comment here because this just segues so nicely into my rant this week. Um, and so it is that time for ding, 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 our ding, rants ding. and raves. And this <laughs> is the part of the show that uh, seemingly gets the most comments um, when we actually look at the comments. Our rants and rave sections where. Joe and I actually go off on a bit of a rant or a bit of a rave about something that's either bugging the heck out of us or actually something that we actually really love going out on there in the in the world of content marketing. And my, I have a rant this week, um, and my rant this week comes out of, so I was at, like I said, I was at a conference this week in Toronto, and it was called the Branded Content Conference, the BCon Conference. And it was a fascinating education for me because all of what we were seeing there, basically everyone that was presenting were all of these agencies and brands um, and Red Bull Media House was there and, you know, sort of the usual suspects of who we might see in branded content was there. And they were they were presenting amazing content. I mean, to the extent that there was a there was a, a, a Red Bull was presenting their uh, one of their shows that they do, which is one of the reality shows that they do with these snowboarders. Um, there was a, a group from Intel that did a deal with Toshiba and they have done this web series that's just gorgeous. But the fascinating thing to me was was that they were they were still lost in this idea of campaigns and how many eyeballs it got oh, in front geez. of. And and it was all about because they would and people were in the audience, select people in the audience were actually asking measurement questions like how is this and, and in fact to your to just to the point you were making with regard to what Shane was talking about in many of these branded content there was no mention of the product there was no branding there was no anything and it would be a, a piece of content that would air on a television network like home and garden channel or the food network or you know they would basically create a piece of content that was sponsored and paid for by the brand air it on a television show you know and on a television network and maybe nothing other than the logo would appear at the end or the logo might appear at the beginning. There was no sort of differentiation for the brand within the content itself. And so the interesting thing was the question of measurement would come up a couple of times and they would say, and literally at one point, one of the brands goes, I don't really care about measurement. You know, I'm just making cool content and I want to make it as authentic and, and interesting as I can. And that is just crazy town for me. Because as, as, as somebody who's really passionate and loves content marketing, it is marketing at the end of the day. And this whole idea of, of branded content being only used to drive some sort of awareness that has nothing to do with our, with our, with, with our approach, but is just really interesting content, is just it, – it is the new 30-second spot and it's just as going to – it's going to be just as immeasurable at the oh, end of the day. Oh, that's scary. So – I, 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 yeah, I really want to focus, you know, and, and one of the things that I, as I was talking to some of, the, some of these agencies, I said, how are you looking at this content? And they're really, and, and this was truly the answer in some cases, the agency was still looking at it as the next new campaign. So they're just looking at it as clever new ways to do campaigns, right? So it's not, it's not just, you know, it's not a content marketing approach or a content marketing process that they're infusing into the brand. It's just a new way to do TV advertising that isn't quite well, TV were the, advertising. Were these full? Um, uh, were these traditional agencies or were they production companies? Well, interestingly, that you should mention that because they were traditional agencies that are now hiring these production companies, which are traditional agency people that have now peeled out of these traditional agencies and have started their own production companies that are producing these TV shows and webisodes and all of this interesting content for as a sort of an, as an outsourced service to the agencies who are then working on, um, assumably on, on behalf of the brand. 
And so together they're coming up with the creative concept and these production companies are then going and executing. And these are production companies and I live and work in Los Angeles and these are the traditional production houses that I've grown up with for 25 years. You know, the ones that it's, it's like you know, in one bay they're working on the edit of The Biggest Loser and in the next bay over they're working on some, you know, uh, National Geographic special that's sponsored by some brand. Wait. And it's really an interesting new thing that's going on in television and entertainment where there's this sponsored entertainment. You know, it's interesting. And this this goes really well with what we talked about last week as as maybe media companies are becoming the new agencies. And it's because of that consistency is so key. And there's no doubt that these companies that I mean, and I run into them, too. They're probably doing magnificent work. Right. But it's the they're doing beautiful work. The work. is Yeah. But the consistency uh, outside of the campaign is one of the core tenets of content marketing, and if you don't have it, you usually don't. It usually doesn't work. So that's right. Yeah. I'm just afraid that these that these and it was and, and the fascinating thing to me was is that some of them were like recognizing it, right? Some of them after my talk on measurement were coming up to me going, you know, we really need to deploy this because we're basically one and done with a lot of our clients. You know, we do this really cool thing, and they go, thanks very much. You know, that was worth that was fun, and then they don't come back. He said, we've really got to figure out how we make this consistent over and, time. It's yeah. fa- it was a fascinating, fascinating conversation. And it's not, it's not always, and we talked about this uh, last week too, it's not always an agency fault, right? It's because the clients are, no, so, the no, clients no, are pushing not. for yeah. this and they want to do the, the fantastic viral thing. And Well, and, and in fact, one of the agencies actually called that out. You know, So I want to be clear that it's not always the agency's yeah. fault. And one of the agencies actually explicitly said this. They said, look... We try to make this consistent, and all of the the brand every time comes back and goes, "What's new? What's next? What's next? What's next?" And they always want the next new thing. That's and they're like, "Why don't we just do more episodes of this wonderful thing that worked?" And they're like, "No, no, no. We need to have the new creative thing. The new creative thing. It's got to be new, new, new." Because they're still thinking in this campaign mindset. Well, um, I'll keep my rant uh, fairly short here. Uh, the one thing, it, <laughs> so the, the one thing is, um, I've been getting a lot of free advice emails lately. Uh, have you been getting a lot of those lately? Um, <laughs> I have, I have, sadly I have. So anyway, I'm not going to go into that. I just, it's, it's almost ridiculous. It's, it's like five, six, seven a day now. Oh, I don't, I know you're busy, but can you answer this for me? And it's fine. I actually try to do my best. Uh, to to just be nice and get back when I can. But it's just interesting at the level it's getting. But this one was really interesting that I shared with you. I thought it was funny. So basically goes on and says, I'm selling, this is an agency. And uh, the gentleman here says, I'm, I'm selling a con I'm selling content marketing as a service. And uh, here's my sales process. I reach out, I cold call the company. I set up a, I set up a <laughs> business meeting. I tell them what content marketing is. I tell them the difference between regular copy and, and advertising, what it can do for them, and what they are doing wrong. And he says, I've lost every pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I really had to reread it because I couldn't believe And I basically just responded. I said, maybe you should actually use content marketing to right, try to exactly. show because the best way to get people to believe that content marketing works is to actually do it for yourself. And that's one of the core tenets we talk about. What do I need to do to put you in content marketing today? <laughs> that's exactly it, man. He's the used yeah, car right. salesman of content marketing. Uh, yeah. It's like, even though I don't use it. I've got, I've got floor wax. Uh, I've got under armor coating and it's got content marketing written all over it. I've got your name written all over this baby. But realistically, <laughs> I actually very recently, I talked to a group of, agency owners and very very few of them ran their own content marketing programs shoemaker shoes i get it right but that's a problem that's the number one thing i say when when you're looking at a content marketing agency i say go look at the stuff they've done for themselves first and ask them what they've done and how they measure it that will tell you how committed they are to content marketing as a practice area (laughs) so that's just fantastic i like it well, it is now time for the show, our namesake for the show, This Old Marketing. And I, I'm two, two in a row, two, baby. I, I want to hear another it. Real, I found another cool one All this right. week. And this one I'm particularly proud of. I have to tell you I'm particularly proud of this one because it's going to be opening day 
uh, in just a couple of weeks here. And this one has everything to do with baseball. So when you think back on baseball cards, um, there's a lot of, you know, blogs have been written about this and, you know, even some content marketing blogs have been written about this where they talk about how the American Tobacco Company and others, you know, sort of used to embed baseball cards in their products. And actually, I found this article, and we'll put this in the show, show notes, that talks about the true originator of the business, the, the baseball cards. And it's this company called Peck and & Snyder. And Peck and & Snyder Sporting Goods um, were basically, uh, in 1866, they were in New York City, and they were a sporting goods store. And they what they did was they decided they were going to put out they were going to promote the idea of baseball, just generally, because baseball was getting started. They were really trying to promote the idea and really make it uh, take off. So they started creating these cards, these baseball cards here. And they created one um, of the Cleveland, though, excuse me, the Cincinnati uh, uh, Red Stockings. And each of these uh, in 1869 had a team photo. It was about three by five uh, inches. Um, and then they created a couple of different versions of it, and it just took off. And it was their one of their main advertising ways that they promoted the idea of baseball and got people to come in and buy equipment. And I That's love amazing. that example. It's just such a wonderful example. And there's all these pictures of the old baseball cards that they had in there. Just a, a fantastic example of how something truly innovative, um, even working back as you know, and and how and then other brands copying it, which is just. So fantastic that that all these other brands started copying and putting baseball cards in various products like cigarettes and gum and all that kind of stuff, which is what I remember, yeah. of course, as a kid is opening up a big pack of gum and getting my baseball well, cards. Well, and it's very similar to what we talked about the Nike example, I think from the 19th, so 100 years later, when they just talked about the benefits of running. And they they put that, I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing how old this industry of ours uh, really is. This, that's a great example. Fantastic! Nice, nice yeah. job, my friend. Just, you are, yeah, you are well, on there you a go. Roll. Two for two, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I may have to, I may have to like drop the mic. <laughs> Just leave it at that. This section could be yours from now on. That's fine. It's hard finding these oh, examples. Oh no way, man! Oh, no gosh. way. I, I have to, I have to, I have to keep it sane here. Well, okay. So where are we going to be? You and I are headed off to Sydney, Australia, literally in two That's right. days. I'm, well, I'm, I'll be in San Diego on Wednesday, Thursday morning. I present at uh, Social Media Marketing World, so see a lot of my uh, friends out there. And then from the West Coast, I leave for Australia for Content Marketing World Sydney. And then we are doing PNR Live Monday evening at uh, 7 o'clock in the evening, right at the end of our opening reception of uh, Content Marketing World Sydney. So that we'll have some special guests. So that'll be should simply, be good and buzzworthy, as they say. <laughs> simply fantastic. So that's gonna be it's gonna be cool. It'll be the first time that you and I not only have guests but are actually looking at each other. So that uh, that I don't know. It, it, we could be in trouble. It, it should be. I can't think. I can't think of a better <laughs> way to celebrate our twentieth episode. It's just gonna be. It's just gonna be absolutely. That's delightful. right. Number twenty. You know, with the oh, guests we got. That's... Yeah, with the guest we got, with alcohol at our disposal, it, anything could happen. So you should definitely tune in for that. Well, that is it uh, for episode number 19. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing or send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. Again, this was episode number 19, and if you like this episode, please do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, people, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week live on This Old Marketing.